make a fort in our living room and she can crawl in. She'll go, this is the best day ever. It's not. But in her mind, everything is the best day ever if she's having fun at that moment. Some of you might be thinking about the best day ever was the day you got your driver's license. Now for the parents, that may not be the case. Okay? Some of you think the best day is ever is graduation, whether it be high school or college. But the best day ever is when you moved out and went off to college. Maybe the best day is when your kids moved out and went off to college. Best day ever, day you got married. Best day ever is when the children started coming or the grandchildren. It's better, by the way. Grandparenting is better. They, uh, or some of you say the best day ever is the day you got to retire. The best day ever for Elijah is in this passage in 2 Kings chapter 2. It is a phenomenal passage. It's an interesting passage. It's a wonderful story. It's a story when his last day on earth happens. We read in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, It came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah in, into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Eli, Eli I'm going to do this all the way through this message. Elijah said to Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from your head today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. Elisha, Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord now sends me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. So they come to Jericho. The sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha. And they said to him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here. For the Lord hath sent me now to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as thy soul lives, I will not leave you. The two went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they stood by, and the two, they too stood by the Jordan River. Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I ta be taken away from you. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so unto you. If, it be not, if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. When the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah does now rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Wonderful day. Fabulous day for Elisha, or Eli, for Elijah, and also for Elisha. I'm sorry, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get so paranoid. So you understand, just, I'll just keep going and say it wrong and you figure it out, okay? <laughs> but here, here's what happened. Here's what makes this such a fantastic day. I mean, 
seriously, when you put it all together, going up in a tornado is probably isn't the most favorite thing. Just ask Dorothy and Toto. It's something that's weird and strange. But for Elijah, it was a phenomenal day. It was a tremendous day for several reasons. And by the way, it was phenomenal for Elisha and all the others. This home going of Elijah, for the first reason, it was great because his departure was so extraordinary. I mean, seriously, what a way to go. What a way to go to meet the Lord. Uh, the tornado I can do without. But a sudden snatching away to be with Jesus Christ, think about it. For Elijah, all of a sudden, he gets taken up in this, this chariot of fire whirlwind that, that takes in. It, it, it's not necessarily the chariot, however it's understood. This chariot parts him asunder, and this whirlwind of fire takes him up into heaven. It, it is a phenomenal thing. Most commentators understand that this chariot and these horsemen was some type of recognition that he was a warrior, that he had really battled for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's almost like he is all of a sudden being carried up into heaven if that chariot was part of that, that twister thing, that it's the idea that he is being taken home in glory and in honor, just like some of the, the peoples who would enter into a city on their white horse or in their chariot, and there would be crowds. It was a way of honoring Elijah to just give him this sole singular honor. You know, we down in, our, in D.C., we have the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier that we pay respect to, that even says, here rest in an honored glory, an American soldier known but to God. And we give tribute to all of our soldiers. Well, God is giving tribute to his soldier, his warrior, Elijah. Think about it, that he's taken up in such a glorious manner. But he is the only one in history up to this point, the second one, but the only, the only rare individual to all of a sudden bypass death. You know, we know we're going to go to heaven who are born again. We know that we're going to be there and in a hundred years from now we're going to be in glory. That's not the problem. The problem is the process of how we get there. That's what irritates us. That's what scares us. That which, that's which causes us some discomfort. That which, that's which agonizes for you and me, causes the agony of seeing a loved one go through the process. Well, Elijah bypassed that whole process all told. There's a Sunday school teacher teaching a group of young kids. And she's asking them, she says, well, if I gave all my money, if I did all these good things at church and I taught you all these lessons, is that how I'm going to get to heaven? And all the kids answered theologically, right? No. She says, well, if I made all kinds of food and gave the food away to the neighbors and you know, mowed the lawn for my neighbors, is that going to get me to heaven? No. Well, if I came to your house and I did your laundry and I did all these things, is that what's going and get me to heaven, all those good deeds. And they say, no. And then she says, okay. If all those good things don't get me to heaven, then what's going to get me to heaven? What do I need to do? And one kid piped up, you got to die. Okay, that, now, from a kid's point of view, the kid's point of view, that makes perfect sense, right? Okay, they hear it. They know that. Elijah, just, he just bypassed that whole thing. He and Enoch are the only two that we know of that didn't go through that process. Wouldn't it be cool to go to heaven without going through the process of death and disease? Well, for Elijah, that was a great day. It was a great day that all of a sudden he does it. The other part that catches my attention is in verse 11 where it says he went up by the whirlwind into heaven. In the Old Testament, the saints didn't go directly to heaven. They went to what they called paradise. 
That was that place where there was in that sense of the Old Testament where Abraham's bosom paradise where Jesus went to preach after he had died where in the in Sheol in the in that center part of where all the spirits went there was an upper compartment a lower compartment and they would go there and they would be a place of peace and comfort but wasn't the heaven that you and I know of. The souls that, are in she that were in Sheol they weren't taken from there to heaven until Jesus resurrected and ascended up on high. And so the, here's Elijah. He gets to be ahead of everybody else, all the other Old Testament saints. He gets a direct, you know, go to heaven without going to paradise, without going to Abraham's bosom. He goes directly to be with God in glory. What a phenomenal situation for him. Here's an individual that's honored in a spectacular way. That's a great day for him. It was a wonderful day to bypass death, to be honored in such a way. By the way, do you realize that you and I might be able to bypass death too? There's an event called in Scripture that the Scriptures doesn't use the term, but the, theology, the theological term we throw on is the rapture. It is the point where all of a sudden, like Elijah, we can be snatched away suddenly, not in a tornado, not with a chariot of fire, but there's going to be a trump. There's going to be a call. And instantaneously, we would be snatched out of here and taken to heaven. Now, I don't know about you. I wouldn't mind going today. There's not that much stuff going on this week that would hold us back. So the idea of being taken away would be phenomenal if all of a sudden, shoom, we're all out of here. That'd be great. That'd be a great day to be able to go to be with the Lord and to bypass winter. Amen. Okay? And all the bills and all those things that go with it. To bypass any more doctor's visits. Amen. Great. I don't, I don't think we would mind if that would happen. So for Elijah, that was a great day. For us, that day of going to meet with the Lord, that's going to be a phenomenal day. It's going to be a great day. Now, the reason Paul, when he writes about this, and he expected himself to be caught up, but he says in one of his texts, he says that as he writes, he said, I am in a strait. I am in a, a quandary. To go to be with the Lord is far better. But he also had something holding him back. It wasn't his chariots or his savings account. The thing that was holding Paul back was his friends. Paul had the idea to go to be with the Lord is phenomenal, but I also have responsibilities here. I have friends. It would be great if we all went together. So for Elijah, he's being taken. But there is a sadness in this account. There is a turmoil that's going on in this account. As you go through the passage, there is some difficulty that's happening. Now, for Elijah, he's ready to go. Elijah has got a great testimony. It's a great day. He's going to depart. He's going to go in an extraordinary way. He's ready for it. He's prepared. God has told him he's going to be leaving, and it's not causing him a quandary. He's ready to go. He's expecting to go. He knows and even says to Elijah, if you see me, depart. He knows that he's going to be going, and he's got no problem with it. He's totally ready to go and be taken away. And the question has come back to you and me, are we ready to go? What did he do? Here's a bigger question. What did he do his last few days knowing that he was going to go? I want to deal with that tonight from the same text. But what I want to do is move on and show you something else. There was heartache when he was going. The heartache in this text is that there are some individuals who weren't ready to let him go. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have a loved one who is ready to meet the Lord. You have a loved one who wants to meet the Lord. You have a loved one who feels like everything on this earth is done, they're tired, the, the battle is over with, but you struggle with saying, go. 
It's a battle. You don't want, you love them dearly. Well, in this text, what you have as it unfolds is you have Elijah knowing that he's going to go. You have Elisha knowing that he's going to go. In fact, everybody seems to know that he's going to go. That the prophets, the school of prophets, they come out of their class and they say, Elisha, do you know your master's going today? And that's twice that we read about that, down in verses 3 and down in verse 5, that at two different locations they say, do you know you're going to lose your master? And he says, yeah, be quiet. Why is that? Does, he, does Elisha think that Elijah doesn't know? And he, they're in on a secret that this is a surprise party from God, that he's going to call Elijah up and Elijah doesn't know? I don't think that's this case at all. I think as we walk through and just look and say, okay, what was behind the scenes? What was happening? I think what's real in this text is this wasn't easy. Elijah's departure was not easy for everybody else. Why do I say that? Well, for Elijah, he's been their leader. He's been the leader of the school of prophets. He's been the leader of Elijah, Elisha for now the last 10 years. He's been the mentor. In fact, as you look at the text, those who are in school say, your master, your head is going to leave. So Elisha and Elijah have a close relationship. It's teacher-pupil, mentor-mentee. In fact, what happens is in this text that when Elisha sees Elijah go, what does he call him? My father, my father. He's really tight with Elijah. And so when there's talk and there's idea of conversation that they're saying, do you know he's going to lose him? I think his, his attitude is, let's not talk about it. I know it's happening. I'm aware it's happening. But it's not something I want to talk about right now. It's a difficult moment for Elisha. It's a difficult moment for the others that are there. In fact, when we first, when we read that Elisha is, Elijah is taken, Elisha's first response is, my father, my father, the chariot. And then it says he tears his garments. That's a sign of grieving. That's a sign of mourning. You might say in, in your spiritual focus, you might say, well, he should have been excited that Elijah went to heaven. Well, yeah, we get excited that people go to heaven, but does it still hurt? Did Jesus weep at the tomb of Lazarus even though he knew what was going to happen? The answer is yes. Do we still cry even though that our loved one has left and they're done with their battle, they're with the Lord, they're doing so much better? Does it still cause us angst? Sure it does. It did for Elijah, Elisha, when Elijah departed. And then you have his, his the whole attitude, the, the whole action. If you read further beyond where I stopped, when Elijah comes back and meets the prophets, those other 50 sons of the prophets, they say to him, Elijah is gone. He says, yeah, he's gone. They knew he was going to go. Everybody knew he was going to go. And they said, well, maybe the Spirit of God took him somewhere else. We're going to go look for him. He says, you don't have to go looking for him. Because Elisha knows he was taken up in heaven. He saw it. They are insistent. We got to go look for him. We got to look, look for him. Maybe he's on a mountaintop. We got to go find him. And they go out and they search for an extended period of time. And then they come back and they say, We couldn't find him. You must be right. Why do they go out searching? Because this is hard to say goodbye to their leader. This is difficult for them. On top of it, you have Elijah's request of Elijah. An unusual request. What can I do for you? This is our last day together. What can I do for you? Tell me. And Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. What is that? 
What does that double portion of the Spirit, what does that communicate to us? In this sense, I think there's several thoughts that some authors have said, here's what it is. I don't think this is the case. But one author suggests he wants to be twice as popular. That seems so petty. One author says he wanted to do twice the number of miracles. By the way, he does. That's what it ends up. But somebody said that that's what he's asking. Can I do twice as much of the miracles? Can I have twice as much of the popularity? I don't think that's what he's asking. I understand why they say it. Some suggest this, that what he's doing is he's going back to the Old Testament law where the oldest in your family would get double compared to what everybody else gets. That was just the law. That's the way it operated. Different, different centuries, if you who are, were a property owner, your eldest would get to be your heir. The others would go have to fend for themselves. And so is that what he's talking about? That's a possibility. The only question I have about that is they've known for 10 years already that he's going to be the heir. When he took the mantle off, when, he, when Elijah came, took the mantle off and put it on Elisha who was leading the oxen, they knew at that moment what that was. And Elisha said at that moment, let me go and say goodbye to my family. He said, fine, go and say goodbye. So for the last 10 years, everybody has known that he is going to be the successor. So is he asking, can I be your successor? Well, maybe, but that's been, the under, that's been understood for a long time. I think there's another couple possibilities. Elisha has been watching Elijah minister for a period of time. And he has, he has, like you and me, been impressed by Elijah's boldness, by Elijah's courage. Yes, did he fall flat on his face at one time? Yes. But did he get back up and did he continue? Did he have a spirit of, of bravado, spirit of courage, spirit of going out? You know how it is where you see, you know you're supposed to witness, you know that, that you know, it, it's something we're supposed to do, and then you see another saint doing it? And you just admire that other saint because of their courage, their boldness. I think that's part of this. I think we're getting a feeling for exactly what's going through Elisha's heart. Elisha's going to miss this man. He has served him. Do you remember we pointed out a couple weeks ago that it says that he poured water over his hands? Nobody really knows what that is other than maybe he took care of him. This has been the guy that he's been following, learning from. He's been his leader. He's been giving care to him for the past 10 years. He knows he's going to succeed him, but he doesn't want to see him go. He knows he's going, but he doesn't want to see him go. Can I, have, can I have a double portion? Can I have twice as much of what God has given you in that spirit of service and, and stick-to-itiveness and to be able to handle the personal battles, you know, to be able to go through, to get back up when you got discouraged, when you fell flat? I, I need twice as much power because I don't think I've got it in and of myself. I think, I think that's what Elisha's saying, is I need God's blessing this is going to be a traumatic moment for me to say goodbye to you because I really value your leadership, your friendship, and I need God's help at this moment. Can you guarantee me as God's spokesman that God will help me to do the job that's ahead of me? I need double of your spirit, double of your boldness, double of God's blessings and God's strength in my life. He's not, he's not overcome with, with, bold, uh, with pride and, and with self-confidence. He's afraid of what's ahead. He's not sure what's on the horizon. 
And God in his grace makes this a great day for Elisha who needs encouragement, who needs help at this moment. You know, what I think what happens here is God does a spectacular job in saying, I'm going to help you out. Now, Elijah, Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me go, you know, then this can be granted. In other words, I can't give this to you. There's, you know, but God can work if you're there, if you're around. And so what happened? They had crossed the River Jordan when they got to the other side. They had this conversation. And then he sees Elijah being taken up into heaven. He grieves, rents his own garment as we read. And all of a sudden, he sees the, gar the mantle laying on the ground. He picks up the mantle. He goes back to the River Jordan where they had just crossed with a miracle. And he slaps the river with that same mantle. The river divides. And now remember, there's 50 guys standing on the other side, the school of prophets. There's those guys that have been watching this whole scene. Then when they see that he comes back and this miracle occurs for Elisha by himself, when Elisha walks over to him, they bow down. They pay respect to him as the new leader. This was a moment of encouragement. This was a moment of, of helping men face a really difficult moment. That's why it's a great day. It's a great day because for them, they had some real challenges here. Think this through. They're losing a major figure, leadership figure in their life. This is going to be a battle. But they are learning this lesson. When a loss of a major figure in your life occurs, nothing of God is gone. God is not diminished. God's blessings are not lost because that person is taken away. It's the same lesson that Joshua needed to learn when all of a sudden Moses was gone. After following him for 40 years, here he is, they're learning that the way God works, sometimes not only does he help us through, but he gives us even greater grace to face what's ahead when we feel like we're all alone. In this case, there was double the miracles. The, the blessing is this, that despite the many changes that we face, we don't have to go backwards. We don't have to say, oh, where is God? Oh, no, it's too late. Here, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. We, we, this happens as a nation. If all of a sudden a national leader, something tragic happens to him, there's all of a sudden, there's a, there's a spin zone that takes place. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do? When all of a sudden the boss that you have followed for years, he, he mentored you, he taught you, he's retiring. It's like, where are we going to go? You've had a job. This job was the job you have loved. You have really enjoyed it. The company is closing. Now what am I going to do in the waning years of my working life? Let, let's see. If, if all of a sudden there's a change in leadership here, or some people leave. There's an immediate response of others that say, oh no, what are we, what's going to happen? It happens with families. When the kids move away, parents are thrown into a quandary, like how are we going to live without our kids being able to see them on a regular basis? It happens with all of a sudden we, in, our, in our health. We're going along, we're moving along, and all of a sudden we get some devastating news about our health. Now what? How are we going to handle this? For some of you, you've had this where all of a sudden somebody close to you in your family bailed in your family. It wasn't right, but it happened. They left you. And it's like, how are we going to survive? How are we going to handle this? We are without one of our parents now who has opted to move, to leave us. It's devastating. Or you have this one. You lose your spouse. You lose your parent. 
you lose your child to death. How are we going to face Monday morning? How are we going to do school? How am I supposed to be able to go to the worship place and go and sit in the same pew that we've sat at with my spouse or with my family member for years? How can I possibly do that? How can I possibly do the repairs on the house? Keep the house. It's devastating loss. The fact that here in this text that is so important that says, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If you or I suffer or loss, or if God is leading us in a different direction, we have to remember that when God moves, when God takes, when God removes, nothing of God is lost. God is still God. God is still in control. God can still bless. God can still move. God can still guide and direct your family, your house, our church. And here in this case, God worked in a phenomenal way and showed it to everybody that all of a sudden Elisha comes back and whacks that mantle down and the same miracle took place without Elijah. In fact, he's all of a sudden, he's doing something that only happened a couple times in history prior to this point. Moses and Joshua. And yet they see the prophets all go, whoa! God's not gone. God is still with us, though Elijah is gone. It's amazing. God used two totally different guys. Take a chart and compare these two different men. How God can use different people in different seasons, in different moments. You do an analysis of these two. You got one who totally looks different than the other. One is a bald man. One is a real hairy guy. Okay? Now, I'm not saying either one of them are criteria for the blessings of God. But what I'm trying to point out is they are very different individuals. They are different individuals where one is a loner. One is a very social individual when we first learn about him. One is all by himself. One is working on the farm with family. When we look, one is on a poor level. He doesn't have a whole lot. The other one comes from a rich family. We look at him and we say, one is older, one is younger. We look and we say, the, the Elijah, he has conflicts with the kings time and time again. Ahab and Ahaziah that we looked at. You read in the next couple chapters and you have Elisha, when he's talking to King Joash, he calls him my father. They have a close, they, a diplomatic relationship where the one is bold in his confrontation, the one is more instructive, illustrative, more patient, and yet God uses both these personalities. And that's what the prophets needed to know. That's what Elisha needed to know. They needed to learn that nothing of God is lost when we suffer loss. There is not an absence of blessings. Usually God gives us additional blessings to continue on as a family, as a church, as a Christian witness in your business places. Major changes don't mean we need to go backwards. There's also this encouragement. The encouragement in this story that made it really clear is the present, the, to all of who are present, the reality and the rewards of living by faith. What I mean by that is this. Maybe I can illustrate it this way. A preacher friend was talking about how he had mentored several individuals. This is from years gone by. He mentored several individuals in ministry. And he was their confidant. They would call. They would talk to him. And he said there was one young man that he was really, really, really proud of. This guy was doing a great job and starting a church and doing well. 
And this young man and his wife were expecting their third or fourth child. And all of a sudden he got a phone call. The older man got a phone call from this young preacher. And he was very somber, very serious at the other end. The preacher knew that they had gone to the hospital. And he says, hey, boy or girl? And there was silence. Then he heard a sniffle or two. And what had happened, the older man didn't know what had happened, is the wife died in childbirth. And the young man finally got it out. He said, is heaven real? Oh, wait. Preachers are never supposed to ask that question. But do those questions get asked in the middle of tragedy? Do we stumble a little bit and say, is it for real? Is it, is it absolute? Do I know you're, one of, you're Elisha? You're, gonna, you're saying goodbye to Elijah? You have visible proof that that message he's been preaching for all these years is true. There he goes. And it's miraculous. It is phenomenal. Those 50 prophets standing over on the other side of Jordan watching who say he was caught up by the Spirit. They saw something. What an encouragement of the reality of their faith that they see now that this man of God is being rewarded after all of his years and they as young men, they're seeing miracles can take place. As young men, they're seeing that, that even a departure of a saint, it is real. They do go to heaven. They can see firsthand that there is life after death, that heaven is real. They see that God rewarded Elijah after all those years of preaching. What an encouragement to their hearts to remain faithful, to stick by the stuff. What an encouragement for Elisha to see how God honored his predecessor. What an incentive that he would need when he would face greater challenges, greater trials, greater opposition to realize God honors faithfulness. He needed this illustration. God gave it to him. At that moment, God did a God thing for Elisha. For the school of prophets. Hey, can you think about this? Think about those young men who are going to go out preaching. What a fabulous message they get to share. We saw Elisha go up in a whirlwind. Tell us what Baal has done lately. What a message. What an encouragement to see the hand of God. This is a great day. It was a sad day for them. It was a day that caused some grief. But it was a great day to see that the hand of God was still working to do miracles in the day of miracles. That the hand of God was still going to be poured out upon their ministry. That God was going to help them carry on. It was a really, really a good day. For Elisha, I'm sure he pillowed his head. I'm sure he had some, some weeping. I'm sure he had some of those lonely moments. But at the other side, he was able to say, but God is with me. God has not forsaken us. God will be true to his word. And in those lonely moments, don't you need that? In those crises moments, don't you need the encouragement that God, and as Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, only God can give that double blessing? What a fabulous day. I think it's fabulous because of the encouragement given. I think it's fabulous because the way he left. I think it's fabulous because he was prepared to go, as again we'll talk about tonight. I think it's fabulous because for Elijah, when he left, he met the Lord, his God, in glory for good. Now, let me, let me back you up. 
Were there moments that Elijah had conversations one-on-one with God? I remind you that he is the character from the Old Testament that is used in the book of the of books of the New Testament as the example for praying. He was the epitome of a prayer warrior. He spent time with God. There's no doubt about it. He was on his knees multiple times. There was multiple times that the Lord came and spoke to him, that he had conversation with the Lord <clears throat> time and again. You read those little notes on the wall. You can see we've studied all of them. We've pointed out how there was time again, thus saith the Lord, the Lord came to him. The angel of the Lord spoke to him. He had conversation time and time again. He is no slouch when it came to spiritual communion with God. But all of a sudden now, he's going to be in God's presence. Now all of a sudden now, he's going to heaven to stay for good. He doesn't have to come down off that mountain where he spoke with God in the cave. He gets to stay in glories forever and ever. In fact, years and generations later, he is still enjoying the presence of God Almighty. How do we know that? He appears with Jesus Christ at the Mount of Transfiguration in communion with the Lord God Almighty. What a day! What a glorious day for him! What a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. That was Elijah's experience. Elijah is all of a sudden going to heaven, experiencing it. I was reading about a little girl and her grandpa. We're sitting out in the backyard looking at the different stars, and they were commenting on how beautiful the stars and the constellations. He was pointing out stuff, and finally the little girl said to the the grandpa, she says, Grandpa, this is so beautiful. This is the bottom. How great it must be when you see it from above on top. Right? Right? For she got it right. We, I, I can't describe it. I can't describe the majesty of it. Everything I do falls flat right to the end of this, this steps. The glory, the peace, the, the joy, the busyness that isn't labor, the activities. Oh, and what makes it so absolutely wonderful and so phenomenal is we get to look forward to this. When they were first doing the explorations, they're coming around what we know as the Cape of Good Hope. But the first explorer coming through came through when it was stormy season on South Africa's coast. And he called it the Cape of Storms. That lasted for a few years until Vasco da Gama came through and he renamed it. He renamed it the Cape of Good Hope. Why? He was looking for what's on the other side when he would round that coast, get into the Indian Ocean, and look at all the glories there were in India that he could bring back and share with the Portuguese. When we look at life after death, it scares us at times because the process is scary. But when we look at what's all ahead for us, the glory, the benefit Our passing is the Cape of Good Hope because of what we're going to enjoy as long as that we are believers. For what's ahead for us in heaven? Good health, peace, prosperity, good politics, perfect environment. It's, It's phenomenal. It's too good to be true. That's why Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. It is just an amazing thing. Then what makes it even better is you and I love free stuff. You put a sign free, you're going to draw people. This is free. Hey, I'll give you an illustration. Warren Buffett a few years ago decided he would do this for for a few months. He would let you buy lunch to have lunch with him. 
so he could give you advice. Not many people took it up, but that one year it came out publicly and they didn't, they didn't release all of the prices. But the one man who jumped at this paid $351,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Okay. Now Warren Buffett may be a clever guy. If we put this all in perspective, what would you have to pay in order to meet with Jesus Christ? None of us can afford it. None of us could pay enough. None of us are good enough. That's what makes this idea of heaven so wonderful that it was purchased and paid for already by Jesus Christ himself. He picks up the tab. He says, you get to come and be with me. All you need to do is repent of your sin and believe on me and you shall have eternal life. That's what makes it so wonderful. It makes it so, so phenomenal because of some of people we're going to see. We're going to see Jesus Christ. John Brodus, preacher, commentator, author, wrote about what happened when he was a young boy. He grew up in a, in a town in the Midwest, and he remembers that as a young boy, he went to a church service where they're having revival meetings, evangelistic meetings. He went forward, he got saved. He was immediately concerned about his friend Sandy Jones, a redheaded boy. They were good buddies, lived just down the street. So he went to Sandy Jones the next day and he said, Sandy, you need to go to church and the revival meetings with me. You need to become a Christian. And he talked to him and told him how to become a Christian. And Sandy's response, as you can read there, he says, I don't know. Maybe I will. A few days later, Sandy went with Brodus, with John, to that tent revival, that church revival meetings. He got saved. He responded. And immediately after he had gone aside to a side room and then prayed with somebody, he came back out and he walked up to his friend John and they were just, you know, as Brodus says, you know, early teens, you know, 12, 13 years old. He walked up to John and he said, thank you, John. Thank you for telling me of Jesus. Brodus wrote that as years went by, he went off to school and they were kept in good friendship. But whenever they would run into each other again, thank you, John. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Brodus went into the ministry. He'd get home once a year. He said, I'd come home and I'd always seek out now farmer Sandy Jones. He said, whenever I'd go to the farm or I'd call him and say I'm in town, we would get together for lunch. The first thing he would do is walk up and say, thank you, John. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Brodus is on his deathbed. His family records that while he was there, in some of his last words, as he was saying goodbye to family, was, I am so looking forward to heaven. But I think one of the greatest things that will, I will enjoy in heaven is hopefully being able to meet Jesus and he will say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he says, and the other person I'm looking forward to seeing is Sandy Jones, who had preceded him in death. And he says, I know what he's going to do. He's going to walk up to me and say, thank you, John. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Heaven is such a wonderful place. Heaven is such an amazing place. It is a place that we look for, we long for. It gives us heart encouragement because heaven's going to be our home. Are you ready for it?
and engulfed by the terror of tempestuous sea, unknown waves before you roll. At the end of doubt and peril is eternity. Though fear and conflict seize your weary soul. But just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in Surrounded by the blackness of the darkest night, oh, how lonely death can be. At the end of this long tunnel is a shining light, for death is swallowed up in victory. Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in Are you sure you're going to be there? Are you sure you're going to be home one day in heaven? Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. We want to give you the chance of knowing for sure that you are on your way to heaven. We want to show you from the Bible what you need to pray this day. How you need to come to Christ. You're not sure exactly how to do that. We have our staff going to the right side of the auditorium, standing by the doors there along that wall. They will take you aside into a private area, a private office where you can talk one-on-one -on -one and find out for sure you're on your way to heaven. You want to know that? You want to find out how this could be a wonderful day for you to know, to be sure you're on your way to heaven? Right now, with heads bowed, eyes closed, get up. Go walk to the right side of the auditorium and have somebody show you from the Bible what you need to do in order to know you're going to heaven. To make it so easy for you, we're going to stand so if anybody's on the inside, they can get through to the outside of the pew. If you brought a friend with you, encourage them. Let them know you'll go with them so they can know for sure they're on their way to heaven to make this an absolute confidence in their heart. This is your chance. Go and talk with somebody to find out that one day 
you'll be finally home with Jesus Christ. You can do that even after I pray here in a moment. Feel free to walk over there and talk with some folk. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to reflect on heaven this day. Thank you for this story that so vividly portrays the reality of heaven. Thank you for the hope that it gives us. Thank you for the help that it gives us. Thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. That we know some loved ones and friends and family are with you right now. And we long to be reunited. Until then, help us to be faithful. Help us to be ready. Help us to learn even this evening from the life of this great man, Elijah, how to be ready as a believer, what's required. And Father, I pray, give us guidance and direction that this afternoon we would honor you in the middle of all of our other fun stuff that we do. Help us to reflect and to think, this is your day, how can I best honor you? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. See you later.